Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Economy 99. If this is your first episode, I'm glad you decided to come by. If this isn't your first, that's great too. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. In this episode, I'll be tackling the stock market. And more specifically, the focus of this episode is going to be trying to target what the stock market is, what the stock market isn't, and then really focusing in on how a person might get led astray uh, trying to use these metrics to kind of look at the whole picture through just this one piece of information. Uh, So the main, I'm going to start first with what it actually is, and then a little bit of a history lesson before we really get into the the meat and potatoes, so to speak. Uh, So here we go. Um, The the main function, and this is uh, when it's called a stock market, it's a little, you know, they're they're not trying to make these names very overly complicated, uh, although they they do do that with some of the things sold on the stock market, uh, just intentionally making them complicated for the sake of, you know, making the the barrier to entry high, but that's uh, a topic for a different time. Um, the main service that they provide is the buying the direct buying and selling of stocks, so it's you know fairly intuitive that a stock market would be mostly about selling and buying stocks. Um, after all, it's a, it's a market. That's what markets are, buying and selling things. Um, so it's really important to understand that that's really the only thing they touch, is the buying and selling of stocks and, and other financial instruments that are related to equity and owning things. Um, but another key point, um, company value versus the, the actual cash that's coming in, especially on like an accounting side of things. So if the stock price of a company goes up, it's not actually bringing them any more money. Um, really what it's doing is giving them the potential to bring in more money if they were to issue more stock in the future. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a, like basically the stock has already been sold. So the money's already come in from the company side of things, but the, the, the price of that asset might go up, but the company that originally issued it isn't, they don't see any of that, um, price increase directly. Um, so that's one thing to point out, um, basically like, um, a stock impre a stock price increase does not give companies more money to work with. Um, it really just gives them the potential to increase the amount of money they bring in with future offerings of stock, which is sometimes complicated, sometimes not that complicated. kind of depends on the size of the company. Um, but the, the main thing, it doesn't necessarily directly track basically how much a company is doing and whether they're profitable or not and by how much they are. Um, especially with tech companies, tech companies are the hardest from a traditional, uh, stock analysis perspective. They really don't, it's, it's really more about like a a wild speculation to, I mean, it's, it's more obviously more complicated than that, but it's, there is a lot more, um, pretty significant speculation going on. Uh, so yes, it, in largely speaking in in well-established companies, when you have, um, like they're been around for a long time. They're in fairly stable industries. That's when you tend to have, um, it really tends to line up more with, uh, the more monetary metrics like, uh, you know, their profitability and, 
but it's not necessarily like a company can be well. And then that doesn't, that also doesn't uh, uh, take into account the fact that companies can be overvalued or undervalued. So there's also that to factor in. So all this to say that it's not necessary. It doesn't directly track how well companies in that economy are doing. uh, And it also doesn't directly track how well, um, so, you know, you expand that out. If it's not doing a perfect job of tracking how well each company's doing, you expand that out over an index, which has hundreds of companies in it. There's a, you know, ideally all that variability kind of washes out in the aggregation, which it, it tends to be the conventional wisdom. And I don't necessarily completely disagree with. Um, but it also means that you can have some weird, you can have, it definitely opens the door to a lot of edge cases where you have situations that don't necessarily line up. Um, and then another thing, uh, and this, this point will come back later in the episode, but it doesn't factor in, uh, intangibles and mostly in that uh, from an economic perspective, I'm looking at externalities. So it doesn't look at basically, I mean, how how does this employer treat their employees? Are they bound to have some sort of lawsuit come up that's going to cause them a lot of financial problems? Because uh, investors seem to not really take that as a likely outcome. And I, admittedly, it's probably because it hasn't necessarily uh, had a lot of financial impacts on a company, usually the you know treating employees poorly doesn't really get a a whole lot of uh punitive action um and then the other thing being um it doesn't i mean it some it's starting to change a bit uh as far as the like what a company is doing as far as whether they're ruining the planet or helping it um which you know it's it's more of a from a, I mean to put it in an econ- economic perspective it's an externality issue where if you're ruining the uh economic potential of everyone else because what you're doing is you know making some other activity impossible that's uh causing a lot of problems but it's not really factored into the stock price of a company because usually the effects I mean Stock markets tend to operate fairly short term. Uh, not a lot of people, especially like the big investors, are running like, what do we think this company is going to be doing in five years? Because they frankly don't really care. doesn't really matter. They will have sold by then. They don't give a shit. Um, so that's one of the one of the things to consider is that they don't really factor in the the whole picture. It's just a piece of the picture. Um, and, and yeah, it tends to be very bad at accounting for externalities. Um, it's the externality issue is going to be a repeating theme over, uh, many of these episodes. Um, and then, yeah, it's just, I guess that's really all I had to say on that one. Um, yeah, just a lot of externality issues that don't really get accounted for, um, in a stock market situation. So now on to the history lesson part of this. So while I was writing this, I was actually kind of shocked at how, I mean, everyone makes this, well, most people make this comparison, but the, the similarities between the great depression and, uh, the financial crash of 2008, which no one seems to have a catchy name for I mean the great recession's kind of a lame one uh, um so the subprime mortgage uh bust or whatever they're that one's a bit better um but I don't think it necessarily it's like blaming the one uh the one jenga piece that gets pulled that ends up ending the game rather than like the 25 moves that happened before to get you to that point where the one Jenga piece comes out and it all comes down. Um, but anyways, on to the lesson. So 
really, it's also hard to call these necessarily like, like really at the end of the day, they're really bad market corrections that end up getting worse because people panic. But the, so, you know, it's not like they're, it's not like it's real value that's crashing. Um, that does tend to highlight why we actually do need some amount of regulation on this stuff because to, to apply laissez-faire economics, uh, not only does it not work, but we've pretty much empirically proven that when you roll back those protections, uh, you get another big financial crash, like, uh, what was that? 20 years later. So doesn't really seem all that hard to connect the dots. So anyways, um, in the kind of order of events now, I, I, I'm going to be very honest here. I didn't research this all that much. I'm, I mean, I did, but it's not, it's certainly, I certainly didn't do an entire book's worth of research, uh, for this one episode. So, uh, whether you blame me for that or not. Uh, please don't blame me for that, but either I'm, I'm going to try my best to get as much right as humanly possible, but there's probably going to be the odd error here and there. Uh, so with that understood by everyone, uh, basically what caused the great depression, you've got a booming stock market. The stock market is, has never looked this good. Uh, it's, it's never looked this good. Um, everyone's super excited. Every, um, to, to use the expression, every Tom, Dick and Harry wants to get in on it. Um, and so, but not everyone actually has the cash to get on on it. Uh, and I will explain how this relates to the subprime, uh, lending crash, but not, so not everyone has the money to get in on investing. So what they decide is, well, we could just borrow money, invest it, and then later, I mean, we'll just pay back the loan because, I mean, the stock market's going up. We're not going to lose any money. This is a sure thing. So that genius decision aside, uh, basically, and, well, and, then, and this unfortunately gets enabled by the banks because the banks decide that the same the same thing is true as all the people have been deciding. So it's kind of unfair to blame the people when the banks should really know better. They're, they should be the people that know better. But they decide, whatever, we'll just give you the loan. The investment will be the collateral because that couldn't possibly lose value. So the thing that they're investing on becomes the collateral for the loan that they're going to buy the investment with which, if anyone's seeing a house of cards, that's exactly what happened. Uh, and to link this to the subprime lending crash, um, I mean, this is almost exactly what happened with that, too. It was in specifically real estate, but people were investing in real estate with money they didn't have, and then the and then the banks were saying, sure, we'll give you a loan. You're not going to be able to pay it. Who gives a shit? The market's going up. We're going to make money. We don't care. We'll get some interest off of you, and then we'll seize the property. We'll make a ton of money. It'll be great. Well, it turns out that is prone to a bubble. Because it turns out when everyone's been buying their crappy investments through nothing but loan money, so none of their own money has been going into any of this. It's all just been a web of more and more loans. It turns out that that doesn't necessarily reflect the actual value of things because people haven't been using their own money, so they don't really care what the value is as long as it's going up. So, the bubble bursts. Now, I, I did confess that I didn't research this that much. So I'm not sure if there is actually consensus on what caused the bubble to burst, but I mean, it's really not that important, more of an academic thing. Um, all really you need to know is that the bubble did eventually burst both times, burst 2008, 
and it burst in 1929. So now you have a situation where the banks have loaned a bunch of money to get people these investments. The investments lost money. The investments were the collateral for that loan. So people default on these loans, and then the banks are left holding these investments that are worth nothing because that was the collateral for the loan. And then the banks start, some banks start going out of business because they've got so many of these things. And not to mention that, but the banks were also investing on their own um, using, and a lot of them were, uh, I might do a whole separate episode on uh, fractional reserve, but basically when you give money in a savings account to the bank, they go out and give it out to a bunch of other people and they only keep like a small portion of it. So that small portion that they kept on hand turned out to not be enough to deal with all of the money that was now out from this collateral that was worth nothing, that they were getting back on these loans going uh, defunct. And with the loan money not coming in, now uh, people's money that we had taken in a savings account well, we just don't have that money anymore. It doesn't exist anymore. We loaned it to people. Those loans went bad. We don't have any money. So you have a couple banks going bankrupt. The especially poorly run sleazy banks go bankrupt. That causes everyone else to freak out. Everyone else goes, holy shit, I heard, you know, guy down the street his bank went out of business. Now they're out all their savings. We better run down to our bank before they go out of business so that we can get our money. And then, you know, we'll have our money in the, if the bank goes out of business, whatever, we've got our money. Well, that is about the worst possible thing that could happen to these banks. These banks, which I, I would feel sympathetic for had they not put themselves in this position in the first place, have no money to give these people that come by wanting their money back, uh, which, you know, it's their money that they gave to the bank to hold on to. So theoretically, they have uh, have a right to get that money back. Well, the bank doesn't have said money to give back. So what do they do? Well, even more of them go out of business because they go, Shit, we can't give. We've given out as much money as we can, and now we're broke. So even more of them go out of business. And then they're also forced to, like, before they go out of business, they try to call in as many loans as they possibly can. But as you can imagine, if everyone's running out of money and everyone's losing money, there's not a lot of people capable of paying back said loans. So that doesn't really work. And the people that are like, you know, and it it causes, and then also you've got the the bank to bank loans because that uh, is another thing that happens that not a lot. Basically banks loan other money to banks. Yeah, not super important, but kind of relevant to this. Uh, Basically the, the loans. So usually it's a smaller bank will have a loan from a larger bank. Uh, basically so they can have cash to uh, loan out to people. See the web of loans? Web of, webs of loans tend to be an issue. Uh, and then, ooh, I forgot to relay this all back. Uh, ba- well, I mean, okay. Basically, it doesn't matter what what which version I'm talking about. They're pretty much exactly the same thing happened. So you can just fill in whichever financial crisis you, you prefer. Um, whether you prefer black and white or color, I guess. Um, and then, yeah. So then you've got, like, the economy looked like it was doing great. This is really where I link it all together, uh, if you've been following along. Um, the, the Great Depression really shows how, like, the stock market doesn't necessarily link back to how, and, and I, I'm aware that these are edge cases, but it doesn't link back to how good an economy is doing because 
you can have situations, and it's not that hard to imagine because it's happened quite a few times. Uh, I mean, this is also kind of neglecting the the uh, tech crash. Um, there's another one that I'm forgetting, but it'll come to me at some point. Actually, no, it won't. But anyways, suffice to say, these bubbles happen all the time. And then, you know, so it looks like the economy's doing great. Everyone's excited. But it turns out people are just pumping money into stock market for no, like, when there isn't really that value doesn't exist. It's all just kind of made up. Um, and then you have a situation where it eventually crashes and everyone, I mean, it's really these crashes essentially are corrections. The problem is when you bubble the crap out of these things, they tend to dive harder than like if it had just gone on its own and you hadn't um, been uh, like overvaluing if it hadn't been in a bubble. So it's, there is, there's problems and they, uh, you know, bubbles are to be avoided. It's uh, one of the, key tenants at least it should be of uh financial policy and uh monetary policy which are actually well they're linked but they're technically different things um so yeah it's 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 a it's a good example of where where you can get uh led astray by looking at the stock market as a um one like as a sole indicator uh, of how an economy's doing the, and part of the problem and I'll I have another episode on GDP coming part of the problem with a lot of these things is they're nice convenient easy numbers it's really easy to look at the S&P 500 and go oh it's up haha the economy must be doing better cuz i mean probably 9 times out of 10 that'll be true um it also kind of ignores the the economy on a on a whole as like as a whole does not necessarily recognize purchasing power and all these other metrics that um really are better indicators uh but again that'll be for another time um yeah so just the key takeaway is that you you have an example here of a classic stock markets overvalued economy looked great and then it blew up and everyone kind of learned oh this was this was just nonsense the problem is while the economy looks great people love going out especially anyone who has any stake in trying to you know get reelected or some people trying to sell stocks, all that shit. Um, you have a lot of these people going out there saying, look, the economy's great. Time to get in. Get in now. But the economy is not as good as the stock market would have you believe. And uh, it's headed for turmoil. The issue is it's usually hard for the average person to tell when when in the bubble is about to burst and if it is a bubble because usually it's from like below the surface stuff um however i would say uh if if you're noticing anything with loans i would i would that's usually uh a good indicator that things are are a bit wacky um I kind of suspect there's some of that happening now with uh, a lot of these like negative interest rate things. Although it's possible I'm wrong. I don't know. We'll see. Um, so yeah, you just have to be wary. Uh, and then the, the stock market index is, uh, there's nothing inherently wrong with a stock market index. They make a lot of sense. Um, and and part of the issue is the fact that they're essentially trying to pick representative companies of 
of the whole. And, you know, statistically, this makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of uh, very reasonable assumptions that a person could make about what's representative of the whole. And then you track these, uh, track these companies. And, and when you, you see them going up, you see them going down and then you can, you can plot the average of how they're all doing. And then you can make some inferences about how everyone else is doing. That's not part of that index because you've got roughly a representative collection of, uh, the, the different values in some of them are, some of the stock market indexes are sector-based. Some of them are more general. Some of them are based on how much a company makes in a year. Some of them are based on um, where a company operates. But there is a, I don't want, I want, I don't want to use the word arbitrary, but cause it's not arbitrary but there is definitely uh, the possibility of issues. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of people that spend a lot of time thinking about which companies get included and which companies aren't, so I'm not going to say I know better because I know enough to know I don't. Um, but it, it beg- you know, it's something to think about because uh, linking back to the examples of uh, overinflated bubbles, I mean, you could have a situation where uh, several companies in an index are significantly overvalued, which is not hard to imagine. Happens fairly regularly, actually. So in that scenario the the index is overvalued and then you're basing your decisions around the index and t- typically you're also kind of gauging other companies in that market based on the index so relative to the index how are they doing so you, you can kind of lose get lost in the weeds um with if there's an issue um and then i mean the other thing with stock market indexes is like now when they report on them, they tend to give you. So my personal opinion on like, especially stock market indexes is they're really more valuable from a, like if we look at September's numbers for this particular index, and then we look at September's numbers from last year, what are the deltas? That's really, I mean, admittedly, that tends to be how they get reported in the more um, business-oriented news uh, systems. But uh, it does, you know, like that's really the, it's really very important is to kind of um, work out and, and factor out the seasonality trends that you tend to see. Uh, like, for example, it would be, very unfair to look at a stock in especially like a retail stock in like February, which tends to be the worst month of the year for retail. And then um, if you look at like, let's say December, December tends to be really good for retail. So if you look at, you know, December versus February, you might think, holy shit, this company is falling apart. They were doing so great in February, or they were, sorry, they were doing so great in December, but now they're doing terribly. It's in February, like something's up here. I'm worried. When in reality, if you look at the, 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 um, month over month, uh, numbers, they're really like not doing, they're actually up compared to last year's February, but they're, they're, you know, obviously behind what they would normally do in December. Um, and I think people get caught in the weeds on like the day-to-day stuff. I, you know, I would never advocate anyone not doing this as a full-time job to try day trading because you're, you're just going to lose your mind. Um, 
Not to mention that like the day-to-day fluctuation tends to, I would suspect, be more or less random, and I don't think that's I don't think that would be an unfounded claim. I suspect there would be I would have some support on that. Um now it's funny, some people might ask, like, well, if the day-to-day is random, then how could the month to month not be random? But um and I don't necessarily have a scientific answer to that. Um, I suspect people smarter than me wouldn't have an answer to that. But I do not necessarily. Um, but now that I've rambled on about market indexes, um, I really want to get into the the kind of important, the I guess the the more dangerous aspects. Uh, and a lot of this will be linked back to uh, the Great Depression and the um, subprime mortgage crisis. So the main thing that's an issue is when the stock market gets used as like the yardstick to measure the economy by. And I already went over some reasons for why it isn't a great yardstick, but the the most important thing is really like what are the actual harm that can be done by using it as a yardstick and i mean fundamentally it's a it's an issue of basically i mean you're looking at um stock value and if you're trying if you're using that as your only yardstick or your most important yardstick even for how an economy's doing you're going to be missing a whole lot of other points of data. I could very, I mean, it wouldn't even be that hard um, to imagine a dystopian situation. And I think most people would consider the very early days of the Industrial Revolution, especially in um, Britain, because that was kind of the first area to really go through the Industrial Revolution. I would suspect most people would consider that scenario fairly dystopic from a the average person scenario um i mean you've got kids crawling through coal mines and uh people losing hands in machinery like on a regular basis wasn't a great time to be a working person um in fact it's part of the reason you had uh, a lot of the um uh more i guess uh trying to think of a good word, more um, diametrically opposed um, political ideologies coming out of uh, kind of a response to that kind of stuff going on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and then, so a lot of that coming from we want, we, we don't really care about the well-being of, you know, the average person because i mean realistically they were just coming off of if you think about the timeline from the the industrial revolution not that long ago it was uh you know mostly kings and queens and and lords and um a, a much more feudal based system where you've got the um land owning uh uh well aristocracy is not necessarily the right word but the the landowning class and they have the land that is worked by what are essentially tenant farmers um tends to be the the term uh so basically just people that are are uh, you know allowed to uh farm on that land and some portion of what they produce is then turned over to the person that owns the farm um which you you know as there's two sides to the coin you know the farmer wouldn't be able to work the land if the landowner didn't let them but the so i mean there's but the landowner wouldn't get any 
uh, profit out of it if there wasn't a person there to work it. So, I mean, there's two sides to the uh, argument, but I'm not really going to get into it on this one just yet. Um, all that to say, there's definitely a scenario that you could imagine where if all we really cared about was jacking up stock prices for, I mean, whatever stock you have in mind, the main thing that would happen would be a severe erosion of what we would call like, well, unions, uh, workers' rights, that kind of thing. And along with that, environmental protections and a whole host of things that are not directly related to a company making lots and lots of money. And uh, the people who own parts of that company also making lots and lots of money. So it's not hard to imagine a situation that would not only not be good for the average person, but would eventually end up with, I mean, you can, you can only really base a system off of kind of extortion for so long. Uh, on, I mean, it can go for a lot longer than you might think. So part of the problem is we're talking about like time scales that aren't necessarily, um, super connected with, uh, human time scales. And so like, um, the the expression being in the in the long term everyone's dead um basically meaning like all this stuff kind of plays out in uh unfortunately a lot of this stuff plays out in like time scales that y- you kind of have to be thinking about like further on down the road than what's going to immediately impact you and people aren't necessarily great with that uh as uh, i think we are all aware so I mean, that's really the, the, so then you've got, so if you imagine how it could go bad and it doesn't even necessarily have to be like a, an immediate thing. In fact, I think the, uh, the problem, uh, with so a lot of these things are hard to see and that's really like when they're done well, if like, if you were to, we want to maximize uh, the stock market, we don't really give a shit about anything else. We want to maximize the stock market. If you wanted to do that in an effective way without a lot of people complaining, you would do that slowly and incrementally. And every time you make a decision, you just kind of, you know, you, you put your hand on the scale. And every time you put your hand on the scale, things go a little bit in the stock market's favor. And as that happens, slowly the, we don't want the, you know, planet to become an uninhabitable and we want people to have, you know, a reasonable chance at a living and that kind of thing. That stuff all starts to go, you know, off. It's that, that car ran off onto the ditch and the, we want the stock market to make as much money as humanly possible. Um, that side just keeps rolling. They're, you know, doing whatever they're doing. Uh, you know, they got people working for basically no money and uh and they're making lots of money they're super stoked so it, i mean it it happens it to do it in a way that does not have people jumping up and revolting it happens slowly so uh importantly this is not necessarily like a a distinct like suddenly everyone decided that the stock market was really great it's a real slow like if we decide that the stock market is, if not the most important thing, like basically the important, most important thing to measure the economy by, slowly those decisions start to kind of, you put your hand on the scale and, and slowly anything that benefits the stock market is more important than, um, you know, people's well-being or the people that, uh, or the, you know, the, protecting the environment, all these, uh, things that don't necessarily have direct financial gains, um, in like a stock market scenario. Uh, not to mention, um, 
the point being uh, that, like, so going back to what a stock market actually is, uh, you you fundamentally have to have, I mean, okay, you could take out a whole shit ton of loans to speculate on the stock market, but we saw how that went. Uh, so fundamentally, you have to have money to invest in the stock market. Uh, especially the more money people have. So if there's a bunch of people with a whole shit ton of money, duh, you know, you like, there's a lot of, um, you'd need to have quite a lot of money in order to have a meaningful amount of equity in the stock market where you're like effectively generating wealth through that, um, through that stock market equity ownership. So as you kind of slowly steer the ship that way, it's it creates more and more wealth for the people who already have wealth. And then as that slowly moves that way, you've got a, a kind of by necessity, because it's, well... I hate saying by necessity because it's it's just kind of with this specific example when you're wealth maximizing for the wealthy uh well certainly in a in a relative sense you're you're reducing the amount of money uh that the the people that are not benefiting off this stock market scam uh you're reducing the amount of relative wealth that those people have now, I mean, it's a separate argument for whether that's inherently bad or good, um, and whether it would also show up in nominal terms, because, I mean, I'm going to do a future episode on trickle-down economics. Uh, I find it very interesting that anyone, like, it's really a, a modern miracle that anyone got sold on that, um, in just, like, the sheer charisma and intelligence of the people selling that idea. Uh, cause I don't necessarily want to blame the, like the people that I guess like fell for it. People fall for cons all the time. Very smart people fall for cons all the time. Uh, just look at, you know, I'm, well, there's a lot of examples. So that's kind of why I don't necessarily want to criticize the people that fell for it. And more, I mean, I don't necessarily want to like celebrate the people that conned everyone into believing it, but I, it's definitely an interesting, um, it's definitely an interesting topic on its own. So, you know, the gist of it being whether it's, whether, you know, whether the people uh, in, whether the people that don't own the the majority of the equity in uh, the stock market, whether those people see nominal rises in their wealth or or not, relatively speaking, they will guaranteedly uh, not have as much wealth, um, for more or less no reason other than the fact that they didn't start off with a lot of wealth. Cause that's like the other thing is it's not like one of the problems with some of these things is when you, when you get into money, there's kind of a difference between earned wealth and like unearned wealth, um, at least in, in my mind. And so this is kind of an, unearned wealth scenario where like the only reason you're making this money is because uh, of some, some rules that decided that this, we were going to prioritize the stock market, which, you know, because you started off with a lot of wealth, which may have been earned, may have not, it doesn't really matter. Uh, now you have a whole ton of wealth. Um, and, and I mean, going back to the industrial revolution example, I think a lot of these um, tend to have negative impacts on uh, I, like once you get down below the upper class, I guess, uh, you know, the working in the lower class, uh, those areas tend to get hit the worst, not to mention the usually the the wealth. So if there is some sort of uh, inflated bubble of stock value that i mean eventually is going to crash usually the people taking out huge loans 
to invest in said bubbled uh, equity market. Usually those people are not the super wealthy. So if people are going to lose a bunch of money, like it's going to be the people taking out loans to buy stock that end up losing everything because, you know, like all their, although, I mean, some of them went out pretty good because they were only investing loan money, which they just uh, decided they weren't going to pay. So some of them went out pretty good with it, actually. But um, if you were, you didn't get a loan that was purely uh, collateral on the investment you were buying with the loan money, you know, you might have other issues, uh, such as losing your house, those kind of things, you know, just little stuff. Um, and, and then, I mean, the other thing is, uh, and this is, I mean, this is a lot, the problem is a lot of this stuff's kind of subtle. Uh, so it's not necessarily like a, a big, Ooh, we got them kind of thing. Um, cause it also like, and I, I'm kind of thinking this also relates to, I'm going to talk about it in a future episode, but it's also related. Just, I feel like I've been saying that a lot. I'm going to talk about this in a future episode. Economies are kind of complicated and a lot of it's linked together. Um, who knew? Basically, uh, it also happens in the job market where you have uh, companies get away with shit because, well, we were bringing in jobs. Or you wouldn't want to lose all those jobs at this factory, would you? I mean, we only like really polluted the river. It's not like we completely polluted the river. And you see that, uh, well, in this theoretical example, I'm willing to go out on a limb and say that you would see that with, uh, with the stocks as well. You know, if we were more concerned about stock market value than anything else, at least economically, um, you're going to have a lot of situations where regulators, lawmakers, they're all going to take it easy if someone's doing some shady shit, but their stock's doing good because of it, or even if it's not necessarily because of it, just like their stock price would get hurt if we did something about this. So I'm, uh, that is a kind of like a, I guess, issue that would be hard to detect, but would exist because you're, 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 you're weighing your priorities is, you know, enforcing this law really all that important because it's going to hurt our, uh, you know, the stock market's going to take a hit if, um, you know, this, if we start actually like enforcing it. So we should probably be pretty lenient. So, uh, I, I suspect, you know, well, I'm sure some of it happens now. In fact, I'm pretty sure that happened with the subprime mortgage crash crash. Um, although admittedly, I think well, a lot of what was going on was unfortunately very legal. Um, which it's not not a great situation when really stupid and like obviously harmful things are happening that are uh turns out are perfectly legal um yeah not great uh not to mention if you're letting a lot of this shit go for the sake of uh having stock prices go higher you're definitely asking to find yourself in a bubble and then you're just going to end up with a bubble bursting inevitably because it always happens. It has never not happened. And then, um, and then like you're left sitting there with a, a thing that broke and now you're sitting there trying to fix it. And it usually involves bailing out the exact people that caused the problem in the first place. So, uh, yeah, not a great time. Um, so to to wrap up, uh, and I already talked about this, but it's in my notes last, so I've obviously not been following them all that well. Uh, really, the the key being that, like, a lot of this stuff would be very obvious in the short term, but it's it's not necessarily like the short term uh, stuff that would happen. 
or is going to happen. It's really more of a slow kind of gradual move in that direction that ends up with companies. Well, I mean, whether you care about, you know, the planet not burning down, um, or, you know, you do, it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, what ends up happening is all of this is all of this stock value is really built on a lie because they're going to aim for whatever they can get. So if we can jack up the stock price, even if it's going to hurt us in the, in the, um, in the long, well, not even necessarily the long run in like 10 years, we're playing with house money. We don't really care. So we'll do it. doesn't really matter. Um, so what you end up in a situation with is you end up in a bubble and that a bubbles it's, it's worse for some, but it's not good for anyone. So whether you care about the externality effects or not, um, which I, you know, you should, cause I mean, it's probably the externality problem is probably going to be, if I was to make one sweeping wild guess in this episode, probably going to be the, the main focus of economic policy in the next probably 20 to 30 years. Um, I think there's just too many, too many very obvious signs that they're not getting factored into our economic decisions. And then we're, we're putting off, uh, value that will be lost in the future due to problems that we caused now. Uh, cause that's really all this, that's really all a lot of this is. Um, so, I mean, whether you, whether you believe in, you know, people being, uh, paid a livable wage or not, uh, at the end of the day, it's not really good for anyone. Um, but again, you probably should cause you know, that's, uh, tends to be, I mean, if you want another bubble, that tends to be, uh, when you get into uh, revolution type scenarios, which again, not good for anyone. So avoid is good. Um, and that's about all I have for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it and I'm going to roll the outro. See you at the next episode. If you enjoyed this episode of Economy 99, please consider sharing this with your friends. If you don't have any friends, well, now is as good a time as any to find some. To stay up to date on new episode releases, you can follow me on Twitter at Economy99Pod. That's Economy99POD. If you'd like to reach out to suggest a future topic or to ask questions, You can reach out on Twitter or email the show at economy99podcast at gmail.com. Really trying to make these names as simple as possible for you folks. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it.